tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God intends us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, episode 18. If you've ever struggled in your faith, if you've ever wondered where God was in the middle of your pain, or if He even saw or cared about the things you were going through, well, you don't want to miss this episode. I'm so happy to have Michelle Couchette back as my guest today. Back in episode five, she shared about finding our identity, and it was one of the living room's most downloaded episodes. But today, she's going to be sharing more from her life and her new book called Relentless, The Unshakable Presence of a God Who Never Leaves. Listen, my friend, you may be walking through a dark time, but you are not walking alone. Well, I am so excited to have Michelle Couchette with me. Uh, If you guys have not had a chance to listen to episode five, it is an amazing episode. Michelle is an experienced communicator. She speaks internationally. She has all kinds of wonderful, uh, wonderful books that I want you to check out. But I'm thrilled because she is here with us on The Living Room to talk about her new book, Relentless, The Unshakable Presence of a God who never leaves. Welcome, Michelle. So glad to have you back. Oh, I'm I'm thrilled that I get to come back. It's it's like getting together with an old friend for coffee. So I've been looking forward to this. Uh, me too. Me too. I I just I love your heart. And I I was telling you before we went on, it's just been beautiful to watch how your episode is resonating with women and just the message that God's given you. And we talked about how, you know, (laughs) how God tends to use us, um, from, from our own life, the things that are happening in our own life. And one of my favorite quotes from the last episode was, if life were ice cream, I would not have chosen pain and suffering. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And yet, uh, and yet look at all this beautiful fruit. Can you tell us a little bit about this new book? And, um, and, and as I, you know, girls, you'll want to go back and listen to, to episode five to hear the full story, but I know it does come mm-hmm. out of that particular ice cream that you've had to be <laughs> yes. eating. <laughs> yes, it does. So this next book is called, as you said, Relentless, The Unshakable Presence of a God Who Doesn't Leave. And briefly, just uh, to give you a quick snapshot, it highlights my journey when I wrestled with my faith. Uh, when uh, after going through about two decades of unrelenting unrelenting uh, struggle and um, difficulty, including a divorce, including single parenting, including three rounds of cancer of the tongue, which is, you can hear, I talk with a lisp because I've had most of my tongue removed, as well as raising three children from um, a history of severe abuse and neglect. All of that over two decades basically caused me to despair of life to some extent. There was, it's just too, you can hit a place where the pain is just too much. And it's not that you want to die, but you can't bear the thought of living. Uh, it's one thing after another. And I got to a place where it wasn't so much about why me, because I, I recognize that suffering is everywhere, that pain is all around the world. And mine certainly is not as severe as what many endure today, but more of I've been praying to this God I love um, from the moment I could speak. 
I have been praying for relief. So why won't he deliver just a little bit of relief? I'm not asking him to fix everything, but where is he? And why does he feel so far away? Uh, and so this book is really chronicling uh, this journey through a couple years of a very, very dark season where I questioned God's reality, God's goodness, and whether or not I could trust him. Hmm. Wow. Oh, I think that you're speaking to a lot of people out there. Um, we maybe haven't gone through some of the things that you mentioned, but unanswered prayer, um, you know, broken dreams, a betrayal, abandonment, all of those things, the way we thought our life was going to be, and it hasn't turned out that way. I think we've all struggled to kind of navigate that. Um, what would you say to those people out there today? Uh, well, if you haven't experienced yet, it's just a matter of time, which sounds like a whole lot of bad news. <laughs> but uh, if you haven't, if you haven't realized it yet, this human experience, this human life that we live is flawed. Uh, and no matter how hard you try to prevent all the bad things from happening, there is so much that is out of your control. So sooner or later, something is going to happen that you can't explain, absolve, or control. And when that does, what's going to happen to your faith in that moment? Uh, John Orberg said, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have it in front of me, um, but in one of his books, I believe it was Soul Keeping, he said, when you ask people um, uh, when they lost their faith or why they don't have faith, they will tell you pain and suffering. When you ask people when they most grew in their faith and why they hang on to their faith, they will tell you it's pain and suffering. Mm. Uh, and I think for... Uh, all of us, when we finally at some point in time deal with something that is beyond our ability to control, uh, we will have to decide in those moments if what we, if we really believe what we say we believe, if it really can stand up to pain and suffering and a lack of explanations. Because what we typically do is we equate the presence of pain with the absence of God. And if we haven't shorn up our faith on some really good, solid facts, Okay, really good, solid facts, then it won't take very much for it to slip away. Hmm. Uh, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. I, I really think that we secretly <laughs> believe that this life should be heaven. <laughs> and it's not. <laughs> well, yes, I think we, I think we do. And I really think that's predominantly an American mentality. Um, yeah. We really believe that, that we have, I mean, every commercial on TV, every billboard we see, everywhere we go promises that if we just buy this, do this, um, work hard enough, we can have it all. Uh, but that is not what the Bible promised. In fact, Jesus said very clearly, you know, in this world, you will have trouble. Uh, it's not, you can't escape it. I think as Americans or anybody in Western uh, European American civilization, we've been able to escape trouble fairly easily for a time. But at some point in time, all of our best strategies aren't going to work. And then what are we going to do? Yes. And, and you know, it's so funny that we expect that because when you look at the early Christians, <laughs> their life was really hard. I mean, I have not been fed to the lions recently. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you and I don't worry about if we open our Bible in public that somebody's going to imprison us for the rest of our life. We don't worry about 
I mean, it's interesting. Things are changing a little bit. Now we worry about sending our kids to school because of shootings. And we worry about a little bit about going to church because that has started to happen somewhat um, where there's unexpected violence. But for the most part, we don't worry about those things where people around the world live in that environment every single day. It's not a rare occurrence. It's a constant occurrence. And so in some ways, I feel like us as the American church, uh, we have... We have we have developed theology of comfort and affluence, and we have lost our theology of suffering and pain. Oh, so true. So true. And then when it does hit our lives, we don't know what to do. So, so can you take us a little bit through your journey coming out of that place of, of doubt, coming back to trust and faith? I literally had to strip everything down to nothing. I mean, go back to the beginning. You know, I, I'm a sports fan. I'm kind of one of those weird girls who loves watching sports. But if you follow basketball, baseball, football, um, coaches will tell you over and over again, if a, if a team has a losing season and they're really struggling, the coach will say, we need to get back to the basics. We need to get back to just dribbling mm-hmm. the ball, passing the ball, all the basics, right? Uh, and in many ways, that's what I had to do with my faith. I grew up in the church. My parents became Christians when I was less than a year old. Uh, and so even though faith was new to them, I've never not known Jesus. I, I mean, I've heard, I've heard about Jesus since I was not even able to walk or speak or read. So I've always known Jesus. Um, but I also have come to learn through the season of pain and suffering that um, some of my theology wasn't entirely accurate. Hmm. Uh, and that's not a blame. This isn't a throw rocks and blame people for what they taught me, but more of at times we, we grow to believe things, not always of anybody's fault. Um, but we believe things that aren't entirely true. For example, um, I believe that if I did all the right things, if I followed all the rules in the Bible, if I read everything and I did it all to a T, that I would have a good life. Yeah. Right. So if I obey God, um, if I obey him and follow him, I mean, I remember in the Old Testament, the verses that said to honor your mother and father for it will go well with you. Right. Right. And so. I thought, okay, I'll do that. I'll do A plus B and I'll get C for results. And so I did all the right things. And yet I still ended up a divorced single mom with cancer three times, um, raising kids who were struggling uh, and dealing with ongoing medical crises and all kinds of pain and trauma myself as well as my children's. How do you explain that? What do you do with that? And so I had to go back and Uh, get really clear on what I really believe. And it started with, quite frankly, is God real? I mean, let's go, let's go right to the black and white. Is God real? Do I believe that he is real? And so I just dug into some pretty heady stuff wrestling with um, the reality of God, whether or not he's real and how I can wrap my mind around that belief. Uh, and, uh, and then moved from there, but literally had to go back to the basics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I actually wrote about formula Christianity in my book on Lazarus awake called Lazarus awakening, you know, because we really do believe, like you said, if I do a, and I do B, then God has to do C. Yeah. He's on the hook, right? To give us, we've been good girls and boys. So that means he has to give us a good life. Yeah. Yeah. And yet really 
um, I understand why we get there, but when you put it against the whole of God's word, it really doesn't stand. So coming back to that, what can you pinpoint a time that really solidified for you? Or, or something, a, a fact or something that solidified for you, God is real. I wish I could. I mean, I wish there was like a moment in time where the sky split open and <laughs> light from heaven spilled down and Jesus came in the flesh and said, guess what? I'm real, Michelle. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it did not work that way. That's what I was hoping for, like some kind of divine revelation. Um, yeah some kind of message in the sky. That's not how it works, or at least that's not how it works for me. It was more of a slow, constant day after day showing up with my questions and my doubts and searching out the truth. Uh, so much of God is a mystery. I mean, we want so badly to wrap our minds around his reality, and yet he's a mystery. So as I I spent time reading a lot of books. One book that was really helpful for me was Timothy Keller's book, The Reason for God, and his other book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Both of those uh, were a very intellectual approach to the problem of pain in God. And I found both of those very, very helpful. I tend to be... I'm a science math girl. I used to be a nurse. I'm, you know, I like really good black and white um, intellectual thought, you know, being able to wrestle with that. And his works were very helpful for me. But I also want to say that uh, it's, we can't resolve all of God. He's far too big for our minds to comprehend or wrap around. So I had to come to a place where, yes, I really do believe he's real. That doesn't mean I understand him or comprehend all of him, but I do believe he's real. But it was a journey and a process of being honest with my doubts, being honest with my questions, and not being lazy about them either, but showing up and seeking the truth day after day. Oh, that's so good. I think so many times we throw questions at God, but we don't stick around for the answer. <laughs> so, so I love that. Yes. I filled up so many journals with my questions and my prayers. I spent lots of time face on the floor in tears, praying, God, if you're real, <laughs> throw me a bone. I need something. Help me, you know, help me to understand. Walk me through this. And slowly, one layer at a time, he did. Uh, and a lot of it was reading the Bible and really letting him rebuild my theology on truth, not just always what I had always believed. Mm, that is so good. That is so good. Well, you know, I think there's probably some people out there that say, well, you know, I know God is real, but that hasn't been enough for me. Was there any other questions that you had to face? Yeah, the second question. So after I had to, you know, the first most basic question is, is God real? Once I answered that, okay, he's real. My next question was, is he good? Mm. Is God good? It's one thing for him to be real, but is he good? I need to know he's good. And when you're in, when you're in a place of unrelenting pain, and let me just say, uh, for those who didn't hear my original story on episode five, uh, I had, um, I had probably a good solid year of horrific pain. I was on um, fentanyl, which is uh, an opioid narcotic about can be up to 50 times more potent than heroin. Uh, I was on that 24 hours a day, seven days a week for six months. It wasn't enough to deal with my pain. So they gave me liquid morphine on top of that to take the edge off. And I was still in so much pain some days. I was writhing 
I, I've, I didn't know that it was possible. Like I, I would hear people using the phrase writhing in pain. I now understand what that looks like. Uh, and that was six months that I was on those pain meds just to take the edge off. And now since then I live with chronic pain. It's, it's able to be handled with Advil and Tylenol for the most part. Most days I just deal with the discomfort. Uh, but when you're in that kind of extreme pain, uh, it's it's a very valid question to ask, is God good? How do you reconcile the goodness of God with a, a type of extreme pain where you are writhing and begging for death? That's a whole different level of pain. And what do you do with that? And so I had to spend some time uh, honestly asking that question, is God good? I need to know if he's good or not. He may be real, but if he's not good, I'm not going to waste any more time with him. Hmm. And that's, boy, that sounds, uh, I'm sure there's some people wondering if lightning is going to strike. (laughs) 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 The thing is, is uh, I'm, Jesus and I are good. (laughs) And he, this does not surprise him that I'm asking these questions and even sharing this here. He and I have already dealt with this together and he's big enough. His goodness and his glory is big enough to tolerate my pain and suffering. And that question came from a valid place. I mean, it came from a very valid place. And, and, and what finally helped me work through that question is quite honestly, um, good Friday. We call it good Friday, but good Friday was anything but good. Jesus was in horrific pain where he was, sweating drops of blood, excruciating suffering. Uh, And then I've had some people tell me, well, he only suffered for that couple of days, that night and the next day, right? I'm like, well, what you have to understand is God exited the perfection of heaven where there was no pain and put on human flesh where it was constant pain and discomfort as a human. He willingly did that and he didn't have to do that. He lived 33 years. He went through unbelievable rejection and torture and suffering and abandonment and betrayal. And he did it. He even asked God in the garden, God, if it's possible for me not to do this, please, please take it away from me. And God did not take his pain away from him. It had to happen. And so I I the the is God good question was only answered for me in the Garden of Gethsemane. If Jesus hadn't suffered, I could not have reconciled the it is God good question. But the fact that he was willing to do that on my behalf, that he did it, he didn't have to, but he willingly chose that kind of pain and suffering because of love, then I could finally resolve that question that yes, God is good. Hmm. That's so beautiful. You know, I think, um, and, and it's been said by other people, but I do think that as American Christians, we have missed out on the doctrine of pain and suffering, the theology of pain and suffering. Yes, I totally agree. It, it's so interesting to do a word study on it, you know, because there, there are whole strains of thought in Christianity that says Christians should never suffer, that they should always live on this absolute victorious plane. And yet there's that strange verse that says that somehow in our suffering, we fill up what was lacking behind Christ's suffering. Have you, have you come to any understanding on that verse? Cause that one always throws me. <laughs> I don't know that I've come to any understanding on that particular verse, but I do, I have come to a, a very firm belief 
uh, you know, it talks about sharing in Christ's sufferings, right? That there is something very sacred about sharing in Christ's sufferings. There was a, there was a closeness. There were, there were many days, many, many, many long dark days where God felt so far away. And yet there were moments where God's nearness was so tangible to me mm-hmm. that it took my breath away and can, and truly did convince me that there is a sacredness in sharing in Christ's sufferings of being human and feeling our mortality in our bones where we are it rising in pain, where we feel that mortality in our bones to remind us, um, that, uh, that Jesus truly did conquer the last enemy and that's death. Yeah. And that's a big deal. <laughs> it's a big deal. You don't know it until you face it yourself. You don't really understand how big it is that, you know, the whole verse that where death is your sting. Um, you know, death is still painful, but really it doesn't have the last word anymore. And that is so huge. And you don't realize it until you're on the cusp of your own death. And then all of a sudden you realize what a big deal it is. Yeah. Well, I, I've come to realize that God doesn't always interrupt and he doesn't always intervene, but he always redeems. And I think if we can just invite him, it's almost like I hear you saying, if we could get a different perspective of pain and suffering, it doesn't necessarily make the pain less, but I think that there is, I think there's the fellowship. We can experience the fellowship Mm -hmm. of Christ. One of the things I love is just this subtitle, um, the title's Relentless, Beautiful Book, The Unshakable Presence of a God Who Never Leaves. And yet you mentioned that he felt far away. How do we reconcile that? That we do have this God who never leaves, and yet there will be those times where he feels far away. Well, the the most important thing to do is not wait for the bottom fallout to collect the truth about his presence. Uh, if you wait, you know, if you and I just coast along thinking it's always going to be perfect and fine and we never shore up our faith on truth, good, solid theology of studying his word and ha- being reminded of his reality over and over again, then when the rug gets pulled out from under us, we won't have anything to stand on. So it is so critical that in these places where life is fairly peaceful and good, that we are basically constructing a faith built on this plethora of evidence of God's presence that when the worst happens, we don't doubt, or at least we have enough to go back to. It's um, There's a, in the Old Testament when Moses and the Israelites go into the promised land and God tells them, when you get to the promised land, when you have the milk and the honey and your, your um, flocks are increasing and your fields are producing crops, do not forget. Do not forget the Lord. Do not forget where you've come from. Do not forget how God delivered you. Do not forget what he has done. And that's one of the things I set up in this, this book, Relentless, very intentionally is I, I, I talked about the story of Joshua and the Israelites crossing the Jordan. And when they cross the Jordan at flood stage, after they get to the other side, well, first of all, God does this great miracle where he pulls the water back when the priests enter the Jordan. And while the priests are holding the Ark of the Covenant in the center of the Jordan River and the water is p- piled up on the sides and the Israelites cross through, um, what God has them do is go back to the center of the Jordan and pull out 12 stones. 
12 stones that they wouldn't have had access to without having to cross through a horrific circumstance. Oh, that's so good. Right? They would have never been able to get those stones if they hadn't walked through a flood. Hadn't, if God hadn't delivered them from an impossible circumstance. So he has them go pull those 12 stones, set them up on the side of the Jordan as an altar. And the reason for that is, is because God knew that more problems were coming, that this wasn't the end of their struggle. And they needed a place to go back to and look at and say, remember when God delivered us from this? He will do it again. Remember when God did this thing that we thought was impossible? We can trust that he will do that, the impossible again. Remember when God's presence parted the, the, the horrible floodwaters? Remember when God's presence stood in the middle and made a way for us to get through? God's presence is going to stand in the middle of this circumstance too. And we will not be alone. We need to do that today. So that way, whatever happens tomorrow, we have an altar to come back to and say, remember when? He's going to do it again. Yes, 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 yes. I was just, um, actually, I did a, a, a interview with someone, or they interviewed me, and they were talking about breakthroughs. And she wanted me to identify a couple of, or one breakthrough. But as I was looking back, I had a whole bunch of stones. <laughs> I had a whole bunch of stones that I could point to. And I think sometimes um, we miss the gift in the trial. We just want through the trial. We, But we don't realize that it is going to be the building blocks of our faith. It is going to make us stronger. It is going to do something deep in us. We were talking before we got on just about trauma and that this, this world is is trauma. And you you said some interesting things about that. Would you share? Yeah. So uh, one of the repeating themes in my life is the impact of trauma on our emotional health, our relationships, and even our ability to connect spiritually with God. So uh, I mentioned it briefly earlier, but uh, about eight years ago, my husband and I took in three children who were four, four, and five at the time who had uh, experienced pretty severe abuse and neglect in early childhood. And so they've become our children, two girls and a boy. We were almost done parenting at that point in time. We were almost empty nesters. And we basically went back and ran that marathon all over again. (laughs) (laughs) But as a result of that, I've had to become somewhat of a – a street smart expert in um, trauma, abuse, neglect, PTSD, and the impact on um, childhood development and emotional health and everything else. Well, as I've studied that, what's so fascinating is God allowed me this privilege of going through cancer three times and experiencing medical trauma. And so what I ended up uh experiencing was my own response to trauma, my own PTSD, my own um, anxiety and depression related to a very significant medical trauma. And my my firsthand experience, coupled with what I had learned in trying to parent my children, helped me to see that this is really a huge part of the human condition, that even those of us who had fairly um, idyllic childhoods didn't have it perfect. And so we've all been marked by trauma. Well, in my journey to reconcile my doubts and my faith, as I studied scripture, I started to realize that the entire gospel narrative is a story of trauma. 
Adam and Eve in the garden. Sin enters the picture. And when sin entered the picture, Adam and Eve were forced to leave their perfect garden living. They had the perfect childhood. (laughs) They were forced to leave Eden. And it created a separation, a significant, traumatic separation that marked them forever. And in fact, it has marked us biologically ever since. We now all live as mortals. We all live with the human condition. Our bodies are constantly falling apart. (laughs) Eventually, it will not function anymore. We are in a constant state of decline as a result of trauma. Well, in my research of trauma, what what modern psychology will tell you is the the biggest indicator of adult health after early childhood trauma is the presence of one stable, significant other. Now, look at the gospel story. You have trauma in the Garden of Eden. You have the entire Old Testament is humanity trying to reconcile all their pain and suffering. Talk about generational dysfunction, right? Generation after generation is marked by just horrific dis, dis, uh, dysfunction and violence and abuse and <laughs> bad relationships and parent-child um uh, conflict and marriage conflict, all of it, right? And then you get to the New Testament and this, this man comes named Jesus, who is called Emmanuel, God with us, the presence of a stable, significant other who came to reconcile and to redeem our trauma, our loss. The entire gospel story is God giving himself because he knew the only way that all of humanity would heal from the separation that wounded us would by would be by giving himself. Wow. Oh, that is so beautiful. And I think that that's the, it's the good news. <laughs> this is the good news. This is the good news. We think that the point of the Bible is the resurrection. And yes, Jesus conquering death is very, very important. But the point of the whole gospel story wasn't the redemption. It was God's desire to be with us. From day one, God has wanted to be with us. And redemption and resurrection were the means to presence. But it's always been about presence. It's always been about God wanting to be with us. And He had to redeem us to be with us. Oh, exactly. Exactly that. I, I'm so blown away when you really look holistically at the Bible that it is a, it is a story of God's pursuit of man and his desire for relationship. But I'd love to drill down a little bit here because we know intellectually that God is with us. You know, Jesus oh, said, I have to yeah, go. That's really and so rub, he ascended right? into that's heaven. That's what we want. We want to feel him. That was the only way that we the don't comforter just know could that he's come, near. Jesus we want said. to feel that the he's Holy near. Spirit and feelings are so God, God uh, with us becoming so one God moment we can feel him in and us, the next moment that we don't. You know, I think a lot one of our struggles as Christians from figured it all out yet is that we live without part of that experiencing God's presence. I got to How do we get that? And I'm a very good job making space for him. I'm a pretty busy person. 
got of a guy six children. I've got, I, I got to write books. I've got things to do, dinner to make, you know, all of this. But I have not been good about making space for him. Part of that is because of my poor theology. I was, I, I was, I felt like I was always disappointing God. Why would you sit down and spend time with somebody that you thought you were constantly failing and disappointing? So I had to initially, one of the things I've had to work on is realizing that, uh, that God loves me. To really sit with that every day, God delights in me. And to go, um, Brendan Manning, I, re- I, I read some of Brendan Manning's books over the last couple of years. It's been very instrumental in helping me understand God's affection for me. Henry Nowen is another one that helped me really grasp God's affection for me. But one thing Brendan Manning said in his books is just to sit and be present with him and simply say the words over and over again, Abba, I belong to you. Abba. I belong to you. And I would spend days in my prayer chair. Uh, I do have a prayer chair trying to, to change my perspective on prayer because prayer has always been hard for me because I always felt like I could hear God's critical voice telling me how I was blowing it. But changing that to say, to hear him say, Michelle, I love you. Beloved, I love you. Beloved, I want to be with you and to sit and change how I experience it prayer. So that way it's not about performance. It's about presence. And when I do that, yeah, I mean, when I do that, when I first of all change my mindset that prayer is not about performance, it's about presence. And then two, when I consistently make space for him, I do experience him more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. I so agree with that. Uh, you know, I think that part of my problem is that I've always kind of expected more. Like, I think I expected God's presence to be a physical thing. And yet the Bible's clear that we're supposed to worship Him in spirit and truth. And while there are those wonderful, warm, fuzzy moments that He drops along the way, it really is a walk of faith. You know, I was reminded of an obscure translation of Paul's words where he says, we live by faith, not by sight. And this particular translation puts it like this, I live my life by faith without seeing him. And boy, that verse just resonated in my heart because it really is a more accurate description, I think, of how I experience God in my life. You know, just because we have to just walk without seeing Him, it doesn't make Him less real. Um, You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about my son, Josh. He had to have his tonsils and adenoids taken out when he was about five years old. And, And as he was coming out of the anesthesia, like a lot of kids do, he really became hysterical. And he was just crying, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. And I was right there in the room. I mean, I was right in front of him. I was holding him, trying to comfort him. And I kept saying, I'm right here, Josh. I'm right here. But he couldn't see me for some reason. And and because he couldn't see me, he couldn't absorb the sense of my presence. And, you know, I wonder, I really wonder if God's not just doing the same thing with us. You know, he's holding us and he's saying, oh, honey, I'm right here. I'm, I'm right here. And I think that's why sometimes it's important for us to collect evidences of God's presence in our history So that way we can be confident in those moments when we don't always feel him. I literally have a box right behind me as I record this sitting on my shelf that is different 
physical items that remind me of a moment where God's presence was so tangible to me. And I have them in the box. It's kind of like my 12 stones. It's kind of like my altar, just like Joshua and the Israelites by the Jordan as a reminder, because the truth is, is there are days I don't feel it. So I need to have something I can look at. Remember, remember when God did this? Remember? Yeah. Remember how clearly you felt his reality right there? Uh, And so if we can learn to capture those moments uh, and honor them and mark them, then it's easier for us not to forget when the feelings fade. I mean, we know this, right? In marriage, if if my husband had to make me feel ro- full of love and romance every moment of the day, he'd be exhausted, right? <laughs> so true. I think it probably already feels like I need it too much, right? And my kids, not every moment parenting our children feels warm and fuzzy, but I want them to know I'm there for them no matter what. My 22-year-old told me recently that he was talking to a friend. He goes, there's one thing I know about my mom. I can always go home. I can always go home. She will always be there. Now, he's grown and he's gone. I don't talk to him every day. I don't feel warm fuzzies. He doesn't feel, we don't feel like this mother-son warm fuzzy thing all the time. But there's a knowledge, a confidence, a faith in my presence and reality that carries him through on the days when he doesn't have the feelings. And somehow we need to build the same thing with God. Oh, that is so good. I love that idea of a box. But I have to ask, can you give us an example? Like just mentally pick one of those objects and describe what it means to you? Yes. Um, okay. I'm, I'm trying to, it's behind me. I can't reach it right now. So let me remember some of the items. Um, one, there was a, a particular during my treatment and everything. And there was a lot of, I mean, literally the doctors threw everything but the kitchen sink at me. They took me to the brink of death and then they had to spend a couple of years bringing me back to life. So it was very terrifying. Fear was a very real part of this. Uh, you know, people will say, I, I'm not afraid to die. I'm afraid of dying. Yes, I, that's exactly what it was. I know what happens after death, but the process of dying is terrifying. And so God was trying to remind me over and over again to not be afraid. Um, Exodus 14, 14 was a verse I hung on to a lot, um, which is the moment that the Israelites are standing at the Red Sea with Moses. And Moses looks at them and says, um, the Lord himself will fight for you. You need only to stand still. Uh, And so learning to live without fear, uh, to basically push through fear was a big deal. Well, one day as I was memorizing that verse and really trying to learn how to live fearless, uh, a woman that I had uh, never met in person, actually, we had connected online, brought a gift over to my house, left it on my front porch. And inside was a coffee mug that quoted the verse, you are my hiding place. And inside the coffee mug was a necklace with the word fearless on it. Wow. (laughs) And it was such a tangible, God's like, I got you. I got you. Hang on to this. Be fearless. And, uh, And yeah, so that's just one example. It was so, the timing was could not have been any more perfect. It was so out of the blue and unexpected and, and God delivered it through somebody else at just the right time. So that's one example. Uh, there were 
Oh, goodness. Here's one more. This I'll give you one more story. This one was so good. On one of the mornings uh, of my radiation treatment, I would get up every morning and my radiation treatments were at 7 a.m. And radiation was brutal for me. When you do radiation on the face and the neck, it's it's a whole different uh, experience than radiation on other parts of the body. You don't want to burn the mouth and the throat and the neck. Uh, it's just not uh, a fun experience. And so to get through those six weeks of radiation treatments was pretty brutal. And so one of the things that I committed to do was reading a different chapter in the book of John and first, second, and third John. There was enough for all the days of my radiation treatment. And so I would get up, I'd read a chapter in John and I would pray. Well, on this particular day, I was in so much pain and I thought of getting burned again, getting more radiation was just killing me. 7 a.m. in my chair, I was weeping. I'm like, God, I just need to know you're here. I just need to know you're here, please. I'm just, I'm not sure I can do this. I need to know that you're, that you care and that this isn't in vain, that you will do something with all of this. When I got done praying, I checked my email really quick before heading out to radiation. And what has happened is, is that <laughs> this is so interesting. The day before I'd sent my mom some flowers, I had ordered flowers online from a florist and sent them to her. Well, I got this email from a woman who works customer service at the flower, the online flower person. Okay. And she, what happened is, is when I placed my order, I had set up an out of office reply on my email. And so the flower company sent me a bounce back saying, you know, that they got my email, but then my email did an automatic reply saying I was out of the office, right? Well, this customer service woman at the flower company got my bounce back. She had just gone to the restroom and curled up in a stall in the restroom crying because she was so alone. She was struggling and she was praying for God. Um, God, if you're real, please just show me that you're real. I need to know that you're with me. She was going through some hard things. She gets back to her desk and my bounce back is there from my out of office reply where I quoted verses about God's presence. So then she wrote me an email saying, I was just in the ladies room crying in the stall. I get back to my desk at the flower company and your out of office reply is there telling me what you're going through with verses about God's presence. And she goes, I just wanted to let you know that, that God is working in your circumstances, even though you don't know it. Oh, wow. 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 You know what? I really think that that's another piece we forget as Christians. You know, we often quote Romans 8:28 for we know that God works all things together for good for those that love God. But you know, it occurred to me one day as I was reading that 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 whole verse is plural. You know, it's not my good, it's our good. Oh, yes, our good, all good. That there were good things happening for people that I had no idea. Yeah. But you know that is the pain. And I know that's a long story, but some people think how that's just coincidence. I'm like, how? No, I'm sorry. A woman in the bathroom in California working customer service, uh, crying for God to show her his presence. And I just happened to, I, it's just, no, that's, that's the reality of a kind God who didn't take away my pain, but he used my pain for some kind of good, which brought its own measure of relief. Um, pain that's in vain is the worst kind of pain, but pain that's redeemed Boy, we can endure that a little bit easier. Oh, wow. 
this, this has really been beautiful, Michelle. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking, Lord, we need eyes to see. You know, I, I think that when we're going through difficulties or just the busyness of life, we can start looking so inward that we miss the clues of his presence. We miss those little stones that he's dropping along the way as we are crossing our Jordan. You know, as we're closing, I would just love to have you pray for us, that we'd be able to see God's presence and be more attentive to the way and even the ways he's already showing up in our lives. Father God, first of all, I just come to you in full acknowledgement uh, and awareness of the fact that it is only by your mercy and grace that I am here. Mm, thank you, Lord. What a tremendous gift of mercy that that Joanna and I and every person who is listening right now is alive and breathing and able to pray. I mean, what a mercy. I pray for those who are in a place of significant pain and suffering right now, whether it's emotional pain, physical pain, relational pain, um, pain about an unknown future or financial insecurity, whatever it may be, or maybe just the pain of not knowing what you believe anymore, that uncertainty about faith and eternity and the meaning of life. God, I pray for them. I pray over them for all of us, God, that you would help us to see what we're missing, that you would give us eyes to see what we can't see. When we are in pain, God, when we, when our suffering is great, um, suffering's basically an attention hog. It wants all of the attention. All we can see is the pain that we're in. And God, I'm asking you to give us a supernatural ability to see what we may miss to see ways that you are working, ways that you are present, ways that you are comforting and being tender with us in the ways that we need. Help us to see your kindness and your goodness when it feels like, um, when we are tempted to believe that you are punishing us. Help us to see that that is not the truth. God, that your presence is with us uh, and that you will not waste it. That if we, if we can just trust you with this, God, the, the miracles you will perform, the redemptions you will, um, that you will bring about, the, the ways you will show yourself to us will take our breath away, God. Uh, help us to see, see even the smallest evidences of your presence, God, and help our awareness of that to bring the peace that we desperately need in our pain. God, we, we want you more than anything else. We can endure just about anything as long as we're not alone. So God, show yourself to us. Show yourself to us in the name of Jesus so that we can praise and glorify your goodness even in our places of pain. In Jesus' name. Oh, I'll tell you what, I am constantly amazed at God's ability to redeem the very worst that touches our life. I don't know how he does it, but he turns what the enemy means for evil, and he works it for good. This fallen world offers a lot of opportunities for pain, but if we'll put them into Jesus' hands, Isaiah 61.3 tells us that he'll give us beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You can trust God, my friend, even in the middle of your pain. 
He is with you. He is for you. And though you might not see it, He is working on your behalf. Until next time, you'll be in my prayers. But more importantly, you'll be in God's hands. So keep living and loving and leading like Jesus. God bless you, my friend.